0: I'm excited
1: to continue this journey. We're going to uh, jump right in with Psalm 95. So you if you're using, uh, oh, if you're old school and you got a hard copy of the Bible, you can turn with me there, Psalm 95. Or if you can track in digitally on your phone or tablet. Uh, or you can connect with me on the screen. And can we do this? Can we stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 95, verse, verses 1 through 6? It says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the Rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is an okay God. I got the wrong I got the wrong translation. For the Lord is the great God. He is an all right King. I'm tripping. He's the great King above all gods come on in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain's peaks belong to him the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land verse six come let us bow down in worship let us kneel before the lord our maker come on let's pray father we come to you today god thank you for your grace your love and your mercy god thank you for this day Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to gather in community together. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship together, to pray together, God, to dive into your word together. Father, we've already asked and we know you're here because I'm not present, meaning your presence is everywhere. But Lord, help us to be aware of your presence in in this moment. God, we need you. We need you, Lord. So we're not here for an idea, opinions, or a TED talk, but we're here for your transformative power of your word. So speak to us, Lord. Open up our eyes. Allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. Open up our ears. Allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. And so, Lord, we say this. Speak, Lord, because your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, come on, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Come on, I hear you. You may be seated. Family, I'm a, I'm a sports guy. I love sports. Uh, I love sports for a lot of reasons. I'm excited right now. Uh, Now, before I say that, there are some sports that I'm like, y'all can keep that one. You know, pickleball stuff like that, y'all can keep. It's cool if you play. It's cool. I'm just talking about me. No shade. No shade. But I love sports, and um, I'm excited right now. I mean, football season is here. Roll Tide. All right. There we go. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now with all that. I've lost control already. <laughs> but I love sports because sports, it's a, it's a bridge builder, right? There could be somebody completely different from you, grew up differently than you, different culture, different way of living, but sports puts you on the field, puts you on the court, it becomes a bridge builder. You understand the language. It's a connector. Sports develops you. Playing basketball for me growing up, sports teaches you lessons. It it teaches you discipline. That's why I think it's great uh, to have young kids to, to play sports, to be active in sports because of the things that it teaches them, the life lessons that it brings of being a part of a team, considering others, how to show up on time, how to take care of responsibility. But having said all of that, I will say there's a problem that I see in sports right now, particularly basketball, and it needs to be addressed There's a minority of people, and I can't quite figure it out, but they don't seem to understand who the greatest basketball... It's a problem. Talk about it. Okay, okay. They don't understand. Hear me? Who the greatest basketball player of all time? Jared, I'm I'm not tracking. I don't know why they don't know. And to be honest, listen, if you just step back and you take, you know, all the noise out, and you just look at it with a clear mind, clear conscience. You can only come to one conclusion. That is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. That's it. That's it. I said what I said and I've stepped back. I know. I just divided the room. I understand, I get it. I'm a Kobe guy, but I get it. You know, I've, d- I've divided the room, but I can't prepare because of that. You throw that up there for me. So we just gotta take a look. <laughs> We just got you know, you, uh, we, we, just look, just look. I mean, you begin to see, first of all, I should have found something that didn't have that Laker jersey because that belongs to 2-4. But, you know, it, it, it just was, I, I just, I was led to this graphic. I mean, you see the six. I mean, you got some, it's cute, you know, you got some accomplishments over there. But, I mean, you got, start to see these 10 scoring titles and one. And, you know, I mean, right here, this, this, Next to these uh, five MVPs, you see that um, defensive player of the year. That, that was a year that he averaged 37 and still won defensive player in the same year. Just just crazy. Just crazy. Leave. All right, take that down. Sir, don't leave. I'm joking. I'm joking. No one's leaving. No one's leaving. No one's leaving. <laughs> now, but I will say this. I'm not one of those guys, you may say, but this is what you just did. I'm not one of those guys that feel like you got to tear the other player down to build the other one up. They're they're all great, whether you're a Kobe guy, Jordan guy, LeBron guy, whatever. They're all great. But I just had to do this today because I just TikTok, I just see disrespect. Instagram, I see disrespect. And when you see something like that, you can only come to one conclusion that Jordan just, he just has to be the GOAT. And there's just no question about it. Here's what I'm saying put some respect on the man's name. That's all. Put some respect. Oh, his name. I got to move on because some some, some LeBron fans are getting tight right now. So I got to move on. (laughs) He said, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. Is that in the same way or not in the same way, but you know how I just said we need to put some respect on Jordan's name. Obviously much more than that, family. We need to put some respect on God's name. I feel like we've been playing with God a little bit. That we've been living life and going through the motions and discounting who God is. That we've been living life as if he's just this idea that's out there that we'll engage in and connect with every now and then. Only when it's convenient to us. Only when it makes sense uh, to us. Only when we have time. Only when we find ourselves in a place that we didn't expect that we're saying, Lord, we want to connect with you. And he's okay with that. But he's saying, I want much more than that. That we we have to stop making God as a second thought, as an afterthought. But we have to instead choose to honor who he is. And that's the kind of conversation I want to have today is that we got to put some respect on his name. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down uh, as the title of today. In fact, you can follow along with me if you download the TBC app. And right down uh, at the bottom, it'll say connect. And once you hit connect, right at the top, you'll see uh, today's notes where you can track with me. But we've got to put some respect on his name. And, and now to give some context to the text of Psalm 95, Bible scholars, did I get y'all back? I'll get you back. I got y'all back, LeBron. (laughs) But to give some context to the text, Bible scholars, they believe that uh, Psalm 95 was written for a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. There are seven Jewish festivals or feasts uh, outlined in Scripture. And these feasts were appointed times that God called. And the purpose of these days were to create moments where God's name would be honored or, in 2023, put some respect on his name. These were times of celebration. The Feast of Tabernacles uh, was a moment to celebrate the fact that God had provided shelter for the children of Israel when they were out in the wilderness. So whenever the Feast of Tabernacles took place, this is what was being celebrated. It was a moment to celebrate and thank God for what he has done. And when you begin reading it in verse 1, you can see it. It was a celebration. It was a moment to point back to what God had did. It was a moment to remember What God had did, what he had done in verse one, it says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, that he's brought salvation to us, that he took us up out of Egypt to lead us to a better place for the lord is a great god he's a great king above all gods it was a polytheistic culture meaning many gods but they come to the understanding that he's the god above all gods that there's no one like him there's no one above him he's the great god he's a great king above all else realizing what he has done he's the creator he's the maker of heaven and earth that his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him the sea is his that he told the water, you can only come this far, that he made it, that his hands formed the dry land. And so they're in this moment, this celebratory moment of praise and and looking back and and looking up to God because of what he has done. But then there's a shift that takes place ahead of verse 6 or in verse 6 where it moves from praise to worship. Verse 6 says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so they took time. They took this moment to celebrate. The writer took time to celebrate and to commemorate and to praise God and to, to, to lead the people to remind, be reminded of the goodness of God and what he's done. But then there's this moment of let us come bow down. Let us come worship. Not so much because of what he has done. It's amazing. But this is simply to bow down to kneel before him because of who he is. And family, you can say it this way, that praise is about looking up while worship is about bowing down. That praise, I'm looking to God, I'm looking at at all what he's done. But then worship is this life posture that says I'm bowing down to surrender before you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. In fact, the word worship, it means to prostrate oneself, meaning to lay down, to bow down to reverence. It's a holy reverence, a, a holy, you know, if you hear fear of the Lord, it's not this sense of being afraid, but it's a holy reverence, a awe, being awestruck of who he is. It's to ascribe worth, to realize that, that he is worthy of my worship. You know, in this community especially, you can find yourself in a meeting and a general walks in a room and off the top everybody stands up to honor the position that they carry. But see, with God, he's the king above all kings. This is not about how we can stand up in a moment, but it's about how we can bow down in a moment to surrender ourselves, to surrender our lives. And and praise is important, but worship is vital as well. Because worship says how I'm living, this is not about what you've done. You've done a lot of amazing things. This is not about what you're currently doing. You're working in my life. This is not about what you will do. I know that you will continue to make a way, but worship is saying I'm simply bowing down and giving a holy reverence to who you are. It's not about what you can do or what you will do or what I'm believing for. What I'm praying for is about surrender. And when you look at it, when, uh, when an officer uh, stops someone that they're trying to apprehend, what do they do? They say, stop and get down. And they begin to get down on their knees with their hands lifted. Why? Because it's a posture of surrender. And while that's a physical representation, there is a spiritual representation that I believe that we're called to live from as well. And I want to walk us through how that looks. How do we worship God? How do we live a lifestyle of worship, because we got to understand that what took place just a few moments ago up here—that uh, was this corporate worship of of singing, song, and all that to the Lord. But worship is much more than that. It's just not uh, defined by this or contained to this. But it really is a heart posture. It really is a focus, a mindset in how we live our lives. And we're going to make some observations. Here's the first observation this morning: is this to love God with sincere affection. To love God with sincere affection. You know, it's something else when your kids are sincerely thankful, when they genuinely express true affection towards you. Now, I don't have much experience with that, but <laughs> when it happens, it's like, praise God, this is good, this is good. And it happened uh, last week with Zoe, our daughter, and We were upstairs, and I think I was headed downstairs to grab something. And she ran over to the edge of the steps and was like, Daddy, Daddy, wait, 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 wait. I was like, what is this, Zoe? And she just goes, Daddy, I love you. I said, give me a second, girl. I was like, you can have whatever you like. Like, that was it. At that moment, I was like, nothing else. That was it. Like, that was the first time she's three and that was the first time I felt like, man, she meant that thing right there. All the other times it was like just what she wanted, but that was sincere. And then I don't know, I guess it was just the week that it was. She was in our room and she came next to me. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and she came up to me. And she said, Daddy, you the best, Daddy. I said, Oh, I have nothing left, girl. It's already yours. <laughs> but family, that's the same way that God wants us to respond towards him. Look at Second Chronicle sixteen nine. It says, "For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him." That He's looking, He's searching across the range of the earth, and He's saying, "Who are those people who are committed to Me?" Who are the ones who just love, want to love me and serve me with sincere affection? Yes, I'm going to move in your life. Yes, I'm going to do things in your life. Yes, there are going to be moments where you, you, you are, are going to witness my power and the ability, uh, the ability I have to just do the miraculous in your life. But what if, what does it look like to simply say, Father, I love you. That, that, that you are what I desire. You are what I seek. And that's what the Lord is searching, and he's looking for folks who are committed that way. In this verse, if we can throw that back up on the screen. In this verse here, Second Chronicles 16.9, it actually is, is part of a bigger story where the king of Judah, back in chapter 13 of 2 Chronicles 2, uh, he sought the Lord for an enemy that was against them. And the Lord brought uh, victory. He delivered them. Well, this time around, uh, the, the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, because Israel had split in two, so the northern kingdom had made a treaty with the neighboring uh, country. And so the king of Judah went to this other country, was like, yo, back out of that deal you have with them, stand on my side. And so all that happened, and now the king of Judah felt safe and secure. Well, now the prophet of the Lord comes to the king of Judah and was like, yo, what's the deal? Because you trusted in man instead of trusted in God, you're going to have some problems. And that's when he says this, the eyes of the Lord are looking for those who will be fully committed to him, not one foot in and one foot out, but are all the way in with the Lord. In the same way, he's looking for people who will be completely devoted to him. In the highs, in the mids, the lows, wherever you find yourself in life, he's looking for people to be committed to him. You know what I've learned? I've learned this, that the circumstances of life will reveal your commitment. How committed are we when the pressure's on? How committed are we when things didn't go the way that we expected? How committed are we when the disappointment came? How committed are we when we prayed and we didn't see the healing? How committed are we when we prayed and the marriage still failed? The Lord is searching for those people who would commit to him and say, Lord, no matter what, I've got questions. I haven't heard the answers yet, but I'm staying committed to you. It's this understanding that the Lord is not leading us to a place to break us. He's leading to a place to make us. And oftentimes, in the way that we're being made, it may feel like a crushing. You can't get wine unless you crush the grapes. And so sometimes there's that feeling of things that we may walk through and experience. And you say, so I had to go through that to experience him. Listen, I don't have all those answers. I just know the end that God wants to get us to. And that's being fully committed to him. Because what we turn to when life gets tough will reveal where our greatest attachment is. Is it him? Is it others? Is it relationships? Is it money? Is it drugs? Is it sex? What is it? What is it that we turn to when life gets tough, when life gets difficult? Well, he wants it to be him. He wants our affection. It's, it's like in sports. You teach someone to change their shooting form But then when they get in the game and the pressure is tight, they revert back to the chicken wing being out instead of getting the elbow tucked because there was pressure. In the run through and practice, it's all good and it's easy to do. But what happens when the pressure gets on? What do we revert back to? God wants our default to be him. Here's the next observation. Offer God complete control of your life. Offer God complete control of my life. You know, I've come to realize that there are things that I'm just, some things that I gotta accept and I have accepted, I'm just not good at. One of those things being cooking. They're like, yo, you ever cook for Caddy? I'm like, yeah, two, five, six, six, seven. I get to call them somewhere. And that's my idea of cooking dinner that night. But I remember early on, Sean, I didn't notice. Garrett, I didn't notice. Early on, I was trying to cook. And I think, I think we were engaged. And I was like, man, just, I was like, listen, just come over. I'm going to cook tonight. I'm cook for my girl, you know. And uh, I don't know what got, it, got into me. And the reality is there are only about three things I knew how to cook at this time. You know, New and use that loosely. You know, breakfast, I could do breakfast, you know, you could scramble some eggs a little bit and some grits and stuff and, and bacon and all that, right? I could, I could do that. Um, eggs would be iffy sometimes. Had to catch them. they be running. But, um, but I'm like, this is dinner, so we can't. It can't be breakfast. At, you know, that's probably not what she's in the mood for. Then there was tacos. I could do tacos, but you know, it's like, you know, you're trying try to be a little bit, somewhat impressive. I didn't really want to do tacos. So this next thing, don't I don't even know how I discovered this. I don't know how it got on the list. I don't know why it's there. <laughs> it was cube steak. Don't again. I don't know why. Like, why was that the, the, the third thing that you knew how to cook? But it was cube steak. So I said, I'm going to make cube steak, some mashed potatoes, and some green beans. Come on. That seems like a good, wholesome meal. Come on. So she came over. I was like, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, I was preparing the meal. I was cooking on the stove, so I had my flour ready. I you know, seasoned everything up, and it's ready. And, you know, drop it uh, in the skillet. And, you know, I see her just kind of peeking over every now and then, just kind of paying attention to what's happening. And every time I noticed that she was looking over, there was more and more look of concern um, that was coming on her face from what she was seeing. And um, finally, I, I think she pretended she came in there like she's going to, I'm thirsty, get something to drink. But I think so that she could eventually step in because what she saw, she's like, so those pieces, tell me about those. I said, oh, those are the finished ones. Those are the good ones, girl. She said, but, but it's got flour on the edges. Like, that can't be finished. And I was like, no, it, it, it adds for flavor. It keeps the moisture and the juice. So she's like, hey, let me, I, you go sit. I got it. I think it was football season. Like you, you go sit there, watch the games, third down. Go like, go watch, the, go watch the game. And um, I got it. And she took over from there. And, and listen, I stepped back. And ultimately, we ate. We got to eat the cube steak, and <laughs> and nobody got sick. So it was all, it was all good. And listen, here's what I'm saying. The reason that we were able to eat, you know, a good meal, whatever, it was, you know, it wasn't because all of a sudden I figured out what I needed to do in the kitchen. No, it was because I decided to give Katie complete control and we were able to eat. And so here's what I'm getting at. In the same way, family, we need to offer God complete control of our lives. Because I think we can live this life. and We've had experience and we've been through things and we say, I know how to handle this. I know how to go through this that I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, I can handle this, I can experience this, I can navigate through this. We, we deal with tough things and 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 because of um, whatever reasons, we don't even want to share to folks what we're going through. We want to share with others what we're experiencing and we say, yo, I've got this, I can handle this, but God is looking for people who will offer him complete control. And notice I say offer him complete control because God is a gentleman in his approach, right? He has given us free will. Why? Because he wants us to choose this. He wants us to choose to surrender. He wants us to choose to offer him complete control. He wants us to choose to love him with sincere devotion, affection rather. Look what Romans 12:1 says. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, in view of God's mercy. In other words, he's saying in view of God's mercy. He's saying in view of God choosing not to give us what we deserve. Because, see, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, while mercy is where God chooses to withhold from us what we actually do deserve. And so what he is saying, in view of God's mercy on us, your only response that makes sense is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, and that's what's pleasing to God. So, little context to this. In the Old Testament, a priest well i say old testament but really up until the moment where jesus uh was 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 killed and raised again or laid down his life i should say and was raised again but up until that moment a priest uh, would kill an animal and place it on the altar uh, as an offering to god and then what paul is saying well listen this is not about us being killed to offer ourselves, but this is us becoming a living sacrifice. In other words, laying down our life daily saying, Lord, I'm presenting myself to you as a living sacrifice. So all of who I am, my thoughts, my concerns, my issues, my wins, my losses, my highs, my lows, all of who I am, I'm laying that down daily and I'm offering myself to you. I'm offering you complete control of my life because here's what we got to understand. There's the perfect will of God, the permissible will of God, and then there's outside the will of God. And so the permissible will of God, obviously outside the will of God is obviously we're outside his will where we are completely disregarding him, disregarding his word, disregarding what he's leading us to. But then there's the permissible will of God where he's saying, listen, I will allow that, but there's better for you. That, yes, you can do that, but there's something greater for you that I have. But then there's the perfect will of God that we encounter and live in when we choose to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. And that's the place where he wants us to live now The perfect will of God doesn't mean that it's absent of trouble, issues, and struggle. Because some people say, well, if I'm in the will of God, then how come uh, there's struggle here? The will of God doesn't mean that there's no struggle. The will of God doesn't mean that there's no issues. The will of God doesn't mean that there aren't things that we walk through. But because we're in the will of God, his grace becomes this accelerator and this empowerment to move us through the things that we face. So that's why, as we discussed last week, that... We can take heart, as John 16:33 reminds us, that Jesus says, listen, in this life you will experience trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So I want to live in the perfect will of God. What sets the stage for that? To present our lives as a living sacrifice. Meaning every day having a posture of, Lord, here I am. What would you have me to do today? It's almost every day you wake up, you're, you're presenting yourself for duty. Here I am. I'm reporting. What would you have me to do today? But I think one of the reasons why some of us struggle with offering God complete control is because of pride. Because pride gets in the way. Well, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. How would I look? How would that sound? People know me as this person. People know me as that person. You want me to live that way? You want me to really give you complete control. Like that just doesn't make sense. And also at the end of the day, Lord, when I was in that place, like I'm the one that pulled myself up. I'm the one that got myself here. I didn't see no one else. I didn't see nobody around me. In fact, all I saw people was plotting on my downfall. All I saw people was rejoicing in what was going on. Things like you allow that. So why would I worship you? That doesn't make sense. Or maybe it's not pride, right? Or I say this, the biggest barrier to worship is often pride because we allow ourselves and our flesh to get in the way. But maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's fear. What happens to me if I really give God complete control of my life? That's a big one. I think a lot of people are there and they want to, but like what will really happen? What will happen with my friendships? What will happen with my connections? What will happen with the life for however long that I've lived if I give God complete control And I think what we have to understand is that the Lord is not leading us to a place that is detrimental for us. It may feel like that, but it's the transformation process, right? So there are things that he's having to pull off of you. There are things that he's having to remove from our lives, and sometimes that is painful. But when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice and choosing worship, we don't have to be afraid. Am I ever going to forget who I am? No. And I say this with all love. If you weren't funny before, you probably won't be funny (laughs) after. Because is my personality going to change? No, it's not. Because the way you're, it's going to be washed through his Holy Spirit filter. Because God needs your personality because he wired you that way to be effective for building up the kingdom. Because scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he needs your personality the way it is to go get the folks that are in part of that harvest because they're going to connect with what you have. Yeah. And so that's why you don't have to worry about trying to be like someone else, act like someone else, talk like someone else because God needs you to be you because you hold something that someone else needs and he needs that personality that you have to go effectively reach them. Amen. So no, he's not going to change your personality. Your personality just becomes submitted to the Lord. Uh, Paul, Paul, who was Saul, he was wild. He was a Christian killer. So when he had this encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, his personality didn't change. Because it was that same tenacity when he was once persecuting and killing Christians that he needed to go plant the churches that he did and be the person that we know today responsible for the majority of, of writing the New Testament. So God didn't change his personality, but it was filtered out through his spirit. Here's what I'm getting at. we got to stop dating God and instead exchange vows with God. Sometimes we find ourselves one foot in, one foot out. You know, you're like, what are we doing? We talking, we kicking it, we chilling, we dating. What are we, what are we, what are we doing? Right? God is asking, what are we doing? Because Sunday you with me, and then I don't even see you no more. You used to call me on your, you know, cell phone. But now I don't even know, like, you can't even. We all been there. Maybe, maybe not. Look, I remember back in the day, I pull up to church, and I got the music playing. God's got a blessing with your name on it. Rocking out. getting in there. Yeah, praise God. Glory to God. Hop in my little 93 Chevy Beretta. That was my first car. And then I got the maximum with the tw- Well, that was 18s, but I did keep them clean. <laughs> I did keep them clean. Had my 1,200-watt amp and my kickers in the back, two 12s. They were not 10s. They were 12s. As <laughs> soon as church got out, I went from Donald Lawrence, Fred Hammond, 20 24th. And it's like, hold up. Just a moment ago, hands high, lifted. I surrender all. And now I'm talking about be easy. <laughs> like, what's going on? Because Sunday, I was like, yo, that's the Lord's Day. But then, right after, when we got out, it was 2.30. When we got out at 2.30, yeah, so we it's different now. They be like, they be t- Y'all making me go longer. I told them, they were like, man, you be going long sometime. I'm like, you don't remember the 230 days? What you talking about? But anyway, I get out of church and, you know, Saturday and, and the rest of the, the week, it's mine. I'm outside. And Lord's like, wait a minute. I want to be your God every day. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm in my other point, include God in my everyday life. So Micah, come on, help me out. But he's saying, include God, include me in your everyday life, not just on Sunday, but I want to be your God on Monday as well. I want to be your God through the rest of the week. I want to be your God in that meeting. I want to be your God in in traffic, in, in frustration. If you want to go outside, go outside, but just take me with you. That's what he's saying. And it's very simple. And I think we need to start at a place where it's simple. Start at the lowest degree. Here's what I mean. Waking up every day. And even asking the Lord, what should I wear today? Where should I go to lunch? What should we eat for dinner? You said, man, that, that's just, that's child's play. That's, that's ridiculous. No, here's, one, here's why we should do it to the lowest degree. Because what it's doing is developing your sensitivity to the voice of God when you include him in the little things. And when you can hear him in the little things of what you should simply wear that day, you will hear him in the big things of, should I take this job that may take me away from my family? Should I take this promotion that while it may add $20,000 to my salary, my family's not going to see me anymore? I'm not going to be at the sporting events on the weekend because I'm going to be busy over here having to push and make all this happen. Should I really move? Should we move to that city? I know it's a city that we talked about. I know we'll have the income that we want. I know we'll be able to take the trips that we want. But our marriage is on the rocks right now. If we move to that city, no family, no connections, nothing around, would this be to the detriment of our family? But you know how you can get the sensitivity if you need to make that move by waking up and saying, Lord, what should I even wear today? Because it's building the muscle of hearing the voice of God. Because what many of us will do in our prayer time, we're informing God. We're informing God about what we're going to do. And instead, we need to consult him on what we should do. So we said, Lord, I'm going to stack here, stack here, flip this, and then buy that. We inform him on all the moves that we're going to make, all the things that we're going to do. But he's asking, when are you going to consult me? When are you going to allow me in on what you have already decided what you're going to do? And what happens, family? Because we simply informed God and we didn't consult God, we end up finding ourselves asking him to bless a decision that he never authorized us to make. So he's trying to keep us from getting to that place. Now because of his grace, he'll navigate and get us through that. But why do what's permissible? Why not live in what's perfect? And we get that revelation when we choose to include him in every day of our life. Prior to full-time ministry, I was a contract analyst. I was a procurement analyst. And God was working in my life and doing things in my life. And I remember telling people where I worked that, hey, I'm beginning this process. I'm going to be gone here uh, in the next few months. So beginning the process of transitioning everything that I'm working on to someone else because I'm going to full-time ministry. And someone who meant well, I think she meant well. She said, but can't you do that on Sunday and Wednesday? I got real Southern. I said, bless your heart. You know what that means? You know what that means? I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's not, but I, you, you mean well. But the truth is, family, many of us, we have not expressed that necessarily, but it's reflected in how we live. That Sunday is his day, but Monday through Saturday is mine. And he's saying, include me in every day of your life. You know, I used to have, I, I either had cars or a mid-sized SUV. And about a year and a half ago or so, I don't remember. I, I got a truck. And playing a truck, I realized, playing a uh, church, I'm like, you need a truck. And so I went and got a truck. And there was a difference I noticed very quickly parallel parking the truck versus parallel parking my four It was different. And off the top, y'all already know, I had to turn that music down so I could bag that thing on up in that spot. You know, it just, it's just heightens my ability to see when the music's down. <laughs> ears and eyes they connected but I had to turn down the distractions so the the focus could be there so the clarity could be there so the understanding could be there and it's the same with us in life family we gotta turn down the noise of life so that we're able to see God in the way that we didn't see him before so that distractions are gone. So here's a question to ask, what's so loud in your life right now that you can't see God because of it? What's so turned up in your life that you can't hear God, you can't see God, you don't know God, you don't feel God because everything is so loud. Can I submit to you that it's time to worship, meaning it's time to surrender. It's time to say, maybe, maybe there's pain, maybe there's hurt, maybe there's disappointment, Maybe there's something that happened in your life you didn't expect. Maybe it was the loss of a relationship, the loss of someone in your family, a friend, someone close to you. Maybe it was a a marriage that didn't succeed, that it ended in divorce. Maybe it was a lost job. Maybe, Maybe it was the church. Maybe the people that's supposed to reflect Christ were the people who hurt you. And you're disappointed and you wonder if you can ever connect to the church in the way that you used to. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's things that you felt like over your life you allowed yourself to get in and you're disappointed with you and that thing has been so loud in your life that you can't see God. Or maybe it's God. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you hurt. Like, God, where were you when this happened? Where were you when that was said to me? Where were you when that was done to me? And family, I don't have all the answers. There's a lot of complexities, I don't know, but what I do know is I I know I need to worship. I know I need to surrender. Because there's a level of vulnerability that comes when you surrender. I think about Martha and Mary, but particularly Martha, the sisters of, of Lazarus, and Lazarus died and they were upset because they told Jesus four days prior to when he got there to come because the one you love is sick. And Jesus waited four days before showing up. And now he's shown up and he's dead. And so Martha's like, Yo, if you had only been here, my brother would be alive. And then Jesus tells her, But listen, he's going to rise, he's going to live. And she's like, Yeah, I know, at the resurrection. But then Jesus says, No, 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 no. Re- basically, resurrection, resurrection is not an event, it's a person. I'm in the resurrection. Now, Martha got that revelation, why? Because she was vulnerable in a moment and she expressed how she was mad with Jesus. But she got some revelation that otherwise she would not have gotten if she didn't get vulnerable that way. What am I saying? Worship is the opportunity to be vulnerable with the Lord and say, God, I'm disappointed in how you allow that to play out. I'm hurt by it. He's big enough to handle that. And then what happens get some revelation that without that moment perhaps you would not have gotten so what is it that's so loud in your life that's keeping you from receiving that revelation worship is the door that brings you to the point